Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a, within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, H the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And over to Exodus 4, starting in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, have, I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that we receive from your word and the way in which you are moving in our midst. God, we ask that you would uh, be present now as we reflect on your word. Help us to, uh, to come to know and understand you more and more through it. God, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear our minds, that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love, uh, one of the things I love about our country and about the culture that we live in is the, the concept of the American dream. This American dream that, that uh, extends opportunity to all and that everybody uh, can, can, can grow and become and experience uh, the, the fruits of their labor. You know, uh, this kind of bootstrap mentality. You know what I mean by that? This, this idea that, 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 that if you just, you know, get out there and get to work and, and pull yourself up from the bootstraps, you could become something. And that resonates with me because uh, I, I come from a family heritage of, of roughneck oil refinery workers. Like, like not the engineers or the designers or the, or the executives or the, 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 the thought uh, 
uh, the think tank of the companies, but the workers, the, the folks like cranking the wrench on the refinery. Those are my people. I come from people that, that, that could not live in Port Arthur because they were too poor. They lived in Port Acres. And if you know anything about the Golden Triangle, then that resonates with you. If you don't, I just said something that's gobbledygook. I did it. Oh, sorry. I, I lost my mind. So Zach has challenged me to use the word gobbledygook in a sermon for like six months, and I haven't been able to work it in, and that was the first time I did it. I didn't even get it at 9 o'clock. Uh, sorry, total distraction. That was a rabbit uh, that I chased. Uh, but there's a problem. There, there is an inherent problem that we as Christians have to confess with uh, this American dream, pull yourself up from the bootstraps mentality. It comes maybe most vividly for me uh, from a junior high experience. We had some speakers come in, uh, and, and, and we had assembly time in junior high, and and we, we were all in, uh, in one room together in the gym, and the speaker is talking about, you could be anybody you want to be. You could do anything you want to do. And he started to chant and invited us to call after him. If it is to be, it's up to me. And I, I remember like, like hearing the whole of the gym echo and resound with, if it is to be, it's up to me. If it is to be, it's up with me. And so everybody had this idea, this, this concept that, that if, if I was going to do anything in this life, it was up to me. I, I hope you're beginning to grasp for us as Christians where the challenge might be to this. I mean, certainly we are called to be actively engaged in the world, actively engaged in, in, in the work that we are set to, and, and, and it takes effort on our part to get up every morning and, and, and to go out and accomplish. But yet, if it is to be, is it entirely or even substantially up to me? I think that this all on me sort of a framework of thinking uh, leads us to, to one of two spaces. Uh, on the one hand, if, if it's all on me and, and, we, and we achieve and we go forth and do great things, what ends up happening is, is we become egomaniacs. It is, it is, it is all about me, Right? And we idolate, we create idols of self where, where we place self in the position and place of God. And so we establish uh, ourselves as, as, as all-powerful or all-capable, and it's totally at the detriment of our relationship with the one that is actually greater, the one that is actually capable of accomplishing and doing anything. And those are great and powerful, miraculous things. So that's the one side. This all-on-me mentality can lead to self-centeredness, egocentric, idolatry of self. The other side of it, and this happens uh, all too often, is this idea that it's all on me can also lead us to think that, that, that if we're going to accomplish something new, if there's going to be a, a new creation, a new opportunity, a new space, that it's all on me, that, that, that creates so much fear, so much doubt. There's a lack of confidence that leads us to paralysis. We are 
disabled in that space to actually go forth and do anything because we think that everything is about us. And, and how can we, little old me, with my lack uh, of capacity, how can I actually go and do anything? And so that frame of mind for those that, that deal with self-doubt and self-confidence issues and anxiety and, and, and depression, those things all are, are powerfully uh, disabling factors if we live in a space or a frame of mind that says it's all on Lauren and I were given uh, a, a vision from the Lord to plant a church in the, the Creekside community uh, in 2010, May of 2010. And uh, over the course of the year, uh, 2010 leading to, into spring of 2011, uh, that, that call was affirmed by, uh, by leaders of the church, and we knew that we were going to be sent to plant a church in this Creekside community in June of 2011. We did all sorts of preparation, and, and I remember going to, to planting school. I know you didn't know that was a thing. Church planting school, it's this thing. And so uh, we went to church planting school, and, and they're talking about all that it's going to take from you and from the family and, and husbands and wives, both of the spouse pairs, if the planting uh, uh, ministry was going to be done by a couple. They both were there because everybody needed to hear what it was going to take. And it's like 60 to 80 hours and, and sleepless nights and, 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 and seven days a week and no Sabbath. And they didn't say that because they would have like, that would have been heresy. But they, 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 they kind of articulated this vision that you're going to work all the time. And, and, and if this thing is going to happen, it's going to be because of the hours you work and the contacts you make. And the number of contacts you take, uh, make, you need to make at least 10 contacts a day, 10 new contacts a day. And they gave us tools and instruments to track the number of contacts we were making. We needed to, like, build relationships. And we're making contacts in the grocery store, and we're making contacts on the soccer field, and we're making contacts at PTO, and we're making contacts at other churches where we're going to poach members from, and we're making contacts everywhere. Like, <laughs> And, and we were going to do this thing where we were just going to go and do. And so then when, when, when I remember when we arrived in, in June of 2011, I hit the ground running. I was gone. And it was like we are going to win at planting. And the first thing I did was I knew that we had to have this, this perfect facility because in this community, not a lot had been built yet. There would only been one elementary school. But the YMCA over there that backs up to the George Mitchell Nature Preserve, it was a perfect place to worship. It looked like a sanctuary, big vaulted ceilings, and it had tech already in the room, which ended up totally sucking. And, uh, and, and it was like this perfect space, and I was like, this is where we're going to plant. So I negotiated the contract, locked it in, boom, winning. And then it was like, all right, so I need to, I need to build a staff. i got to have children. This community, there's so many kids around here. we got to build a, uh, build a staff. And so I went and I found Patricia Scott. I knew her from College Station. And she had moved in the community bef like a year or two before we did. And so I was thinking to myself, uh, how can I get her to come run children? Because she used to be a teacher. Found out she was actually the children's minister at another church in the area. And I was like, oh, it's on. I'm going to get that. And so we... Then uh, set up a meeting, and I connected with her at her son's dentist appointment. He's like, he's like at the ortho uh, over here in, across the creek in Panther Creek, and she's in the lobby while he's getting his teeth all worked on, and, and I start selling covenant to her. And I'm like, this is going to be it. It's in your community. The Lord's calling you. You got to do it. We got to win. And 
I saw the glimmer in her eye. I did. Even in the dentist office, I could see that it was going to happen. And so I walked out of that dentist office thinking, ah, victory, right? Stretching out, thinking we're winning. I I then, I knew who the worship leader needed to be. He was this uh, kid that just graduated college uh, a year before. He lived in Shreveport, Louisiana. Didn't have ties to Houston, but I knew if we could make this contact, it was going to work and it was going to be on. His name was Michael Rafferty. And, uh, and I finally, after a lot of, like, wrestling, got him to come down for a visit. And, and on that visit, you know, I, I fed him well. And, you know, I figured he, he's recently graduated college student. He ain't got a lot of money. I'm going to feed him well. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to show him the community. Be like, man, you could live over here. This is going to work. And uh, we could work together. And we went to Goose's Acre. Uh, over in Waterway. And I remember we sat across the table from one another eating that spinach and artichoke dip with that delicious bread. And, uh, and, and I remember as we were eating and as I was filling his stomach and as I was casting vision, I could see the glimmer in his eye. And I knew he was going to say yes that day. And I walked out thinking, winning. We win. And so then I, I, I started to work on all those contacts, right? I'm making contacts, making contacts, making contacts. And every day I'm making enough contacts and I'm feeling like we're on a roll. And we have a first home meeting. And, and I'm looking around my living room, seeing the folks that are coming to Covenant. And I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. These people are so capable and so gifted and so wonderful. Uh, this is an amazing thing that is being done here. I cannot believe how awesome this is. So I get on a call with my coach because planters also have coaches. You know, you didn't know that we went to school and you didn't know we had coaches, but we did. And so I had a coach. Got on the phone with the coach. Coach is like, how are things going? Winning. What do you mean? All I do is win. Every day I win. It's great. And, and he's like, well, say more. I was like, we got a staff. We got a spot to worship. It's awesome. We ordered our portable church. I got launch team members. Let me tell you about them. These folks at Covenant are awesome. They are going to be unbelievable. It, it, like nothing can stop us. We're winning. And, and he's like, so when are you going to launch worship? I was like, well, we're going to launch worship January 8th. We're going to launch worship at the turn of the new year. He's like, man, that's fast. I was like, nothing can stop us. He's like, that's really, really, really fast. Like, you moved in June. You were supposed to take three months off and do nothing. And then you were supposed to start planting the church by building contacts. You didn't take that time off. You just went and went. And now you think you're ready? I said, we're ready. And he said, all right, let's do it. And so we set the date, January 8th, 2012. And then, as a counter turn to September, uh, my dad, my dad uh, is a pastor. I grew up in a preacher's home, which had all sorts of, like, really beautiful positives and all sorts of really challenging negatives. Like, I think that being a preacher's kid is a really challenging thing, and I pray for my kids over that often. Uh, so far, so good, but we're, we're just, you know, still praying over that, right? And, uh, well, my dad, was, my, my dad called me, and uh, we talk almost every day, so this is not a big deal. But then he's like, hey, uh, can you meet me in person today? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm winning today. I am, I am in the community, making contacts. He's like, no, I need to talk to you today. And uh, we went. We sat down next to a lake, and, uh, and he started confessing to me. Uh, he started confessing of his frailty and of his brokenness and uh, mistakes that he had made. And he told me that uh, he was going to be leaving the ministry and that it was on him. 
and uh, I was shook. Um, and for about three weeks, I couldn't do anything. And I've been like processing this for so long, trying to figure out what what was going on in that space and time. And I think one of the things that was going on was I I, uh, I knew every day that there was work to be done, and I needed to go and do that work, but I felt incapable, unworthy, frail, broken, and could not conceive of a way that I could be used to do anything for the kingdom of God. I just couldn't see it. Like, I... I knew that I had been called. I knew that I had not just been called to ministry, but called to plant this church. And I knew that I had, had, had been equipped in some ways, but I just, in those three weeks, maybe even longer, in ways that I still don't yet understand, I've wrestled with how can I be enough? It's all on me. I've lived this where ego and pride and idolatry of self build into this thing. I've lived this where paralysis sets in because you feel incapable of stepping out to do anything of substance or meaning. And God has a word for that for us as well. Thanks be to God and thanks be to God for Moses. Moses is like the perfect character for us to, to, to engage in this sort of a setting where we see these things building up. Moses had some of this side as well, the, the ego and, 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 the, and the self-centeredness and, and we could explore those another day, uh, particularly the reason why he wasn't able to enter into the promised land because he kind of inserted himself into the place of God. But I want to focus a little bit more in chapter 3 and chapter 4 about what took place where, where Moses seemed paralyzed and didn't understand that, that this idea of all about me is, is, is sin and it's ugly and it's not biblical truth. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 3, I want to walk through. There is one word in Exodus 3 in the passage we read that is spoken seven times. Now, seven is a powerful number in Scripture. Seven is a, is a number of completion, is a number of divinity, is a number of power, is a number of wholeness. And, and, and I want you to know that, that there is no accident here that this word is spoken seven times before we arrive at Moses' response. I'm going to read this for you, and, and, and uh, maybe you'll pick up on what that word is. Beginning in verse 6. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then it continues on in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. In verse 8. 
And then if we skip down to verse 9, he's going to provide this, this promised land to them. And now the cry of the Israelites reached me, and I, the sixth time, have seen the way of the, Egypt, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, he tells Moses, I, seventh time, am sending you. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, I am God, I'm going to do this thing. So go, I will be with you. Wow. I wish Moses would have picked up on it. Moses didn't hear it at all. There was no room for the eyewitness of God for Moses because he was so caught up thinking about self. And so here's what Moses' response is. After hearing what God is going to do, he says uh, to God, who am I? God says, I am these things. And Moses is only saying, who am I? That's what we do. We, 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 we hear that God is ready, prepared, able to do a work, wanting to do a work, concerned about God's people, and he's going to use us, and we get to go along with him, and he's going to make things happen. And yet, we think of self, and we say, who am I? I am not able. Don't send me. And so we've We've heard what Moses' many excuses are. I'm going to need a sign. I need to know your name. I, I, I need someone to speak. And so we get to that in chapter 4. And, and Moses continues this wrestling with God. And, and Moses says to the Lord, uh, I've never been eloquent. I can't speak. Uh, I'm not able. I'm slow of speech. And then the Lord is like downright frustrated with Moses. He has had enough of Moses' excuses. He's had enough of Moses' self-centeredness that leads him to, to paralysis and says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about done with you, Moses. And here's what he says. Verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? I, I, I want to insert there, did you? Who makes deaf or mute? Who gives sight or makes someone blind? Is that on you? Are, are you the one that makes these things happen? And then he responds and says, is it not I, the Lord, repeating the I from the original call that was given seven times? This is about me, Moses. This isn't about you. And then in verse 12, he says, go. And I imagine like God offering this resounding no that, that, that booms and echoes and, and, and creates a sense of completion. And at the end of that, there's this pregnant pause that creates a sense of waiting. And then... In a more tender and intimate voice, I hear from the Lord, I will help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. I am with you. You are not abandoned or left alone. If I send you, I will accomplish this great task, and you will participate in it. 
It reminds me of, of what we hear from Jesus when we receive the Great Commission from uh, Matthew 28. Uh, the Great Commission, you, you've heard over and over again in, uh, along your life's journey of faith. Now go and make disciples of Jesus, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go, make disciples, baptize. Go, make disciples, baptize. This is our commission. This is what disciples of Jesus do. We, you and me, all of us are called, go, make disciples, baptize. And, and you might think to yourself when you hear that, whoa, not me. That's for someone else. That's for Pastor Jason. That's for Pastor Zach. That's for Pastor Dario. That's for someone else. Maybe that's for the person to my left, to my right, or in front of me or behind me. But that's not for me because that's for someone else. And we get paralyzed and we think that it's all about us. But it's because we don't read the, the, the text, the scripture, and context. And if we read the verses of the Great Commission, not just the catchphrase of go, uh, make disciples, baptize. If we hear from the total of that text, we'll understand that it's never been about us. Even this task is not about us. Beginning in verse 18, Jesus came to the disciples. He's now in his resurrected form, and he's presenting himself to the disciples, and he's showing uh, his disciples right before he ascends to heaven what it is they're to do, and he has these words for them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptize, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them, those that you go out and reach, teach them to obey everything everything I commanded you, and surely I'm with you even to the very end of this age. You see, Jesus sends us, his disciples, with authority, with his authority. And it's not about us, it's not about what we could do, but it's God's authority in Jesus Christ that is the initiating and working factor in every discipleship activity. If you've, if you've entered into a conversation and you felt like the opportunity was there to witness but you didn't feel capable, don't worry, it's not about you, it's about God. It's about the authority that Jesus Christ has in this world. And we're supposed to teach them. Well, what am I going to teach them? Are we supposed to teach them what we want, what we understand, what we know? No, we're to teach only what Jesus has commanded. We're to teach the words of Jesus, the gospel witness. And then lastly, you're not alone. Jesus says, I am with you even to the end, all the way. You see, the work that we're called to do has never been about us. And whenever I got out of bed, after three weeks of paralysis, the Lord confronted me with the truth that I had been thinking it was all about me. And my ego and my idolatry of self was getting in the way of the gospel. And the Lord taught me that I can get out of bed and go to work for the kingdom of God, not because I am capable or I am able. It has been and always will be about what God is doing in our midst. And so I began to lead the launch team and to lead Covenant, and I'm still leading Covenant today in this way, to say to you, and to anyone that will listen, that what we do is not about any one of us. It's not about any of us, in fact. Everything we do, all that we do is about Jesus. Jesus is the one that empowers it all. We are led by him, and he leads us out in the world to bless the world. And he will accomplish a great work in us and through us that is not of our own doing, but it's all about him who sent us.
That's the work that we've been set to. All glory and praise to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, you are a miracle worker indeed. You create a way for us when we fail to even see or understand that, that, that a way exists that is even possible. So God, we ask now in this space and time that you would meet with us, that you would open our eyes to a new thing, to a new way of being. Lord, let, it, let us not consider ourselves too highly or, or too lowly, but let us only consider ourselves, our identity, as being entirely grounded and dependent upon you, Christ the Lord. For that new creation we are, and that new creation we offer, is not up to our own doing our own capacity, but it's entirely up to you. So we give thanks and praise for your work in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.